Uh, go ahead and take your Bibles and open them anywhere because it's all good. But if you want to be where I'm reading from, go to Genesis chapter number 6. <laughs> Genesis chapter number 6. Now we're going to pick up where we left off this morning. Genesis chapter number 6. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 5. And I'll read down to verse number 20 there near the end of the chapter. And uh, then there's two things I want to point out. And then... Uh, I'll be off to what the Lord has put on my heart for this evening. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet out of reverence for the reading of God's Word. Here we are once again in the chronology of world history. We have placed our toes on the tick mark just before the flood. And now here it comes once again, one drop at a time from the clouds of heaven. And one one gush at a time from the depths of the earth. Genesis chapter number 6, we begin re reading in verse number 5. And the Bible says that God saw and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and the fowls of the air. For it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in it in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, and the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above. And the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof, with the lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth, to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee will I establish my covenant. And thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons, and thy wife, and thy sons' wives with thee. And of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort, shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. And they shall be male and female." of fowls after their kind, and of cattle after their kind, of every creeping thing of the earth after his kind, two of every sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive. And now I would like for you to look with me at verse number 16 of chapter 7. And they that went in 
went in male and female of all flesh as God had commanded him. And I am most interested in the closing phrase of verse number 16 this evening. And the Lord shut him in. Father, I pray that you would help me this evening. Lord, I ask that you would empty me of myself, hide me behind the cross of your Son, and illuminate your word in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would do this work by the power and the clarity of your Holy Spirit. And Father, if there's anything that I ought not say, I pray, Lord, that you would guard my lips of flesh, that they would refrain. But Lord, if there's anything that you would have me be bold to say, Lord, I pray that you would give me the confidence and the right words to say it. Lord, they did not come to hear me, for we're gathered to hear from you. Help me, your instrument, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As I was reading there for a moment, the first few verses and the verses which continued after, I thought we might have a little bit of a deluvian moment ourselves. I know that you weren't distracted from it because you are very holy and your eyes were intent on God's Word, but I was distracted. You'd be amazed at how distracted a preacher's mind can get. I won't be making any more confessions to you tonight, but it is true. Tonight, I would like to focus on this closing part of verse number 16 of chapter number 7 in perhaps a different way than you have perceived it before. It is not my desire whatsoever to twist, distort, or overemphasize things in Scripture that the Lord Himself did not intend to be emphasized. However, I would like to illuminate something that I don't hear mentioned very often, if at all, concerning Noah and those that were there in the ark. No doubt. Uh, we see the earth that is, is flooded, and as I emphasized this morning, that that flood was both a flood of destruction for all those outside of the ark, and as a result, what was perhaps, if not absolutely altogether, the most disastrous day in human history, maybe outside of the fall in the garden, where everyone on earth perished without the Lord except for Noah and the seven others, including his wife, that accompanied him there in the ark. This morning we focused on the fact that there was one flood, and it was the same flood which both brought destruction, but it was also the same flood which brought deliverance for those in the ark. And we examined those verses, how it described how the ark was lifted up above the earth, and it was that flood which did the lifting and brought them uh, closer, if you will, at least physically, to the heavens that they might see the glorious work of the Lord and that they would be preserved entirely and altogether by his hand. So it was the same flood which both brought destruction and deliverance. But what I would like to focus on this evening is that it was the same ark that kept them but also confined them. When I look to the close of verse number 16, I read those words, and the Lord shut him in. 
I am reminded of all the stories that I heard, even from when I was a small child, listening to my Sunday school teacher with the nice little flannel graph. She would place the flannel graph of the ark on that fuzzy little board, and we would see Noah and everybody, and she would move the little um, characters on the board towards the door, and then they would disappear inside, and, and then she would get to the part where there was no pulley system for the door, and uh, there was no hinge there for the door, and there was no latch there for the door that the Bible describes. But instead, it was the hand of God himself which reached down from glory and shut them in and sealed them in. And then the Sunday school teacher, accurately so, describes how when we are saved, we are secure in him. And God will not leave us nor forsake us. And that our God can be trusted to keep us safe and secure. I I love the song that the choir sang that we have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. And let me tell you why. Because the hand of God takes care of his own. And for my whole life, that has been the emphasis of this idea that God, the Lord, shut him in. And perhaps for the first time in my life, just a few months ago, I placed myself inside that ark. Not the one near Cincinnati, but in this ark. And I envisioned that moment when the door closes. A moment of comfort at first. Followed by perhaps moments of terror and great concern. And as I started thinking through the daily life of Noah and his family, it began to sink in that yes, that ark was a glorious thing because it was that ark which kept them safe. But I also realized that it would be real easy for them to start feeling like that same thing that was keeping them safe was also so suffocating so confining that if not careful to guard their hearts and see the grace of God in his miraculous provision of this ark, it would become so easy to be antagonistic, to be complaintive, to be ungrateful about the ark which is caring for them because even though it was what was keeping them, it was also the same tool that was confining them. And I would like to preach this evening on not the same flood, but the same ark. Many of us, we experience the grace of God and no doubt that is what Noah is experiencing. Verse number 8 of Genesis 6. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That we would be out of our minds to look at the story of Noah and the ark and, and the massive flood and think, oh, God sure did punish them. But I do imagine that it would be very possible, if not probable, that there were many days within the ark in which that confinement 
began to creep in, where they feel, felt so closed in, where they hadn't seen the light of sun and nor fresh food. And here they are in a place that is dark and that is dreary and that is stinky, and they're not able to continue out on with their own lives and wondering, God, why could you not have done this a different way? And I don't know if you've ever been there before or perhaps if you're there right now in the circumstance of your life, but it may be that the very circumstances that you or I are complaining about are the exact same things God's using to deliver us. I want you to notice, first off, the duration of this confinement. One of the main reasons why I think that this is so dismissive in our minds is because we forget how long they were confined in this ark. Now, let's just play Sunday school hour for just a moment. Is there anyone in the crowd this evening who could tell me how long it rained? Not all at once. I, I, I know it's a hard question. Yes, sir, you, Mr. Yates. Absolutely, absolutely. Your father said if you got it right, he'd buy ice cream after church. Just let him know. I'm kidding. Sorry, Brother Jeff. It rained for 40 days and for 40 nights. Ten more days than a month doesn't seem so bad. The Lord closes the door and we're confined in this ship, this boat, without electricity, by the way. There's no lights down below. It's three stories high. But you can put up with just about anything for a month. I learned that because I joined the army and you can put up with a whole lot of nonsense for a month. But that is not how long they were in the ark. For the Bible tells us that including those 40 days and 40 nights, that it wasn't until they reached the 150-day mark that the water began to hit its high water mark and then begin to recede, according to Genesis chapter 7, verse number 24. And we have rapidly gone from being in the ark for 40 days, which is just 10 more days than a month, I mean, just a, a week extra than a month, to 150 days altogether. That's five months. If we were to have entered into the ark in January, in the cold day of New Year's, New Year's Day, we could do January, February, March, April, May, and now things are heating up a little bit, if you will. And might I remind you that by month five, I'm sure the Freon had already run out of the air conditioning. One window. Yeah, but they came out after 150 days. No. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 8, verse number 5, that after another, an additional, on top of the 150 days, 74 days passed before the tops of the mountains became visible. Another 40 days after that, Noah sends a raven in Genesis chapter, six, chapter 8, verse number 6. Now we're getting kind of lengthy. Seven days later, after that, Noah sends a dove, but it returned and there's no place to land its feet. Genesis chapter 8, verse number 6. Now I could imagine that things are getting a little bit testy. The mountaintops have been revealed. We send a raven. We don't see it. We send a dove. It immediately comes back and I'm ready to get off this boat. If I could just bring your minds into perspective for just a moment, there were only eight people on the boat and they had a whole lot of work 
in taking care of these smelly, stinky animals. And I'm telling you that they did have enough food for every single one of those animals. But once an animal eats, it digests, if you know what I mean. And who do you call on to help? All of you ladies out there that are married, there were four ladies on the ark and three of them were with their mother-in-law. Just saying. Well, no one's going to tell me how to run my home. Well, what about this ship? No wonder they're so eager. Raven didn't get back. I could already hear Noah's wife nudging him saying, send a dove. <laughs> the dove goes out, it comes back seven more days and he sends out a dove again, returns with an olive leaf, Genesis 8.10. An olive leaf is a sign of peace, but it's not a sign that things have ended. Seven more days, he sends out the dove again, and it did not return, Genesis 8.12, meaning it landed. It found somewhere to land its feet. Here we are, closing in. We feel like we're finally there, and you say, now it's time for God to open the door. No, the door does not yet open, for it takes another 29 days, another month, and Noah removes the covering from off the ark, and the surface appears dry. Look with me at Genesis chapter 8, verse number 13. I think this is so helpful for our understanding of confinement here. But in Genesis chapter 8, verse number 13, I want you to look with me that says, And it came to pass in the 601st year, in the first month, and the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering from the ark and looked. And behold, the face of the ground was dry. I want you to think about this for a moment. Like here, we finally are, after all of these months being stuck on this boat with those stinking animals, and we're thankful that we're alive, but we wish we were alive somewhere else. And now they're ready to get off of this ark. Noah looks and says, hey, the ground is dry. And they have a party. I mean, it, I'm sure that there were fireworks going off. They were all excited about it. The ground is dry. The judgment's over. We're going to be fine now. And notice what it says very carefully. At the end of verse number 13, it says, the face of the ground was dry. Huh. Notice the very next verse. And in the second month, it, what? Another month? On the seventh and twentieth day, another two months, was the earth dried. Now look out of the boat, finally the surface of the earth is dried, but it's still nothing but soupy mud underneath, and it takes another 56 days before the earth in its entirety is dried. Genesis 8, chapter Genesis chapter number 8, verse number 14. And the second month and the seventh and twentieth day of the month was the earth dried. And then finally they come out of the ark. And if you add all of those days up, that is 370 days. Now, for you math whizzes out there, if you count the first and the last day as full days, okay, that's 371. <laughs> it's more than a year. 
It's more than a year. So, well, Pastor Jared, I'm not really understanding the point of the message tonight. The point is this, is that sometimes we lose sight of the deliverance of God and we lose sight of the things that God uses to care for His people. And I don't know how many months into this journey, whether it was the second month or the fourth month or the fifth month, maybe it was after they celebrated being in the ark for six months, half of a year, or when they came up on the 365th day, and, or 360 days according to the Jewish calendar, I believe, um, they began to celebrate. We've been in here a year. I don't know that it was much of a celebration, but I would imagine just speculation if it were me in that ark at some point, I would probably lose sight of the fact that the Lord has rescued me altogether and everyone has perished. And the only thing that I would be looking at is that dark, shut up door that I couldn't get out of. And it would be so easy to become antagonistic and angry about the very instrument that God has used, not just to preserve me, but to preserve every single human generation and animal generation after me. And I'm simply saying this is that sometimes we look at the gift of God and we forget how good that gift really is. And we can start complaining in the Christian life about how we don't get to go do all the things that everybody else gets to do because God forbids them and God doesn't want to do them. And and us as as young people sometimes under the the roof of our parents and the, the laws and the standards of our parents say, well, my friends get to go out and do this and And they get to run around until this time at night. And I don't get to go do any of those things. And what you might not realize is that the same thing that's keeping you is confining you. And it was the Lord's confinement. And so, well, Pastor Jared, I I just don't feel that I'm going anywhere Spiritually, the Lord's got me boxed in. I can't get another job. I can't move to another state, another city. I can't move on to my ne- the next relationship. Well, maybe it's because all of those things would just lead you to perishing. I want you to notice not just the duration of this confinement, but I want you to notice the distance of this confinement. Are you aware that the ark, there is no sail mentioned, there's no oars, there's no um, guidance, there's, there's no propulsion, they, they don't have a Mercury V-twin 500 horsepower hooked up to the back of this beast, they don't have twin turbo diesel motors churning away, they don't have nuclear power, they don't have solar power, they have wind power, as in they can put their heads up to one window and go... I've been on one cruise, and it was great, mostly. We had moments. And it was, it was fantastic. You, you get on board, you go to your little room, you go to sleep, you wake up, and the sun would be shining in the, in the window, and you look out, and you're in a whole new country. It's kind of exciting. I like to travel. I mean, if I, if I really share the story right, I sound rather highfalutin. You know, go to bed in the ports of Spain, wake up on the shores of France, 
course, the allies did that too, but never mind. <laughs> you know, in our, in our life, let's be honest, we always want to be going somewhere. We want to be progressing in, in our job. We want to be progressing in our relationships, our family, our career, our education. We always want to be moving forward. And, and trust me, I've, I've got that disease just as bad as anyone else. Well, I remember when I, was in, when I was in high school, I was just itching. I wanted to go. I, mean, I, I, I was ready to get out of this crummy town, St. Albans, West Virginia. I mean, you don't even know where that is. There's nothing there. So I signed up for the army. It was a great idea. I left for basic training six hours after I graduated, and I was on a bus ready to go. Showed up at Fort Jackson, South Carolina, and realized, ooh, I had it made. <laughs> you know, we all want to move forward. And maybe in your life you feel that, that the circumstances of your life, the confinement that you're in, you just haven't moved one step forward and you are just stuck. If that boat didn't take them anywhere, it didn't take them on some nice voyage, they, they didn't go on a Holy Land excursion, they, they weren't traveling over to see the Statue of Liberty or some great thing. No, the Lord was using that to preserve them. And sometimes whenever we look at the preservation that God is doing in our lives, we want it to be comfortable and we want it to be luxurious and we want to be able to step out and say, oh, look at how far we've come. For all I know, the flood started while they were in the valley and the flood ended and, and they probably only moved a few miles. I have no idea. And if you know, please point it out to me afterwards so the next time I preach this, I can be more smart about it. But they didn't go anywhere. They didn't go anywhere. In fact, we talk about how big the boat is. It was 510 feet long. It was 50 feet tall. That's more than four stories high. And, and it was even wider than it was tall. And we think, wow, what a massive ship. And it had three stories. But if that's all the space I get to walk in, in, in over a year, I'm feeling a little closed in. You know, I've... I've, I've been around some people who've been saved by the grace of God, but you wouldn't know that they're one bit happy about it because they feel the confinement more than they feel that God is keeping them safe from harm. I notice not just the, the distance of it, not just the duration of it, but I think about the dreariness of this ship. The dreariness of the ship. Verse number 16, I, I look back and, and even in my mind right now, after having, dwell, after having been dwelling on, on what it was like in that ship, I read the, the, the verse and it was uh, verse number 16, and the Lord shut him in and I think, man, now that feels very different now. <laughs> the Lord shut me in. It's like being locked in my room. And I think, you know, maybe they had torches in those, in those lower decks. There were three decks high, but there's only one window in it. Genesis 8, 16. For 40 days and 40 nights, we know that there is a torrential downpour. So we know that at least in that, in that month plus at the beginning, there was not a, 
a ray of sunshine that even hit the outside of the ark, let alone pierce that one window and peer down into the rest of the ship. It was dark. And sometimes, let's be honest, even as believers, we enter into these, these dark places and we feel such remorse and, and such desire to do more and to grow more and to go more, but yet we are so confined either because of our finances or the other circumstances of our life and we feel that our, our spiritual life, there is no growth and we open the pages of Scripture and, and we just don't see the light like we used to see and we look at the Christian faith and the, the things that should illuminate our day and our heart. And instead, there's a, a shadow of dreariness because we allow that which keeps us to start to feel rather confining instead of liberating. And I think about this window, Genesis eight sixteen, And the, the Bible says to go forth Go forth of the ark, thou and thy wife. Oh, that's not the verse I was looking for. I'm sorry. <laughs> 616. Oh, thank you. A window shalt thou make. A window shalt thou make to the ark. And in a cubit shalt thou finish it above. Now think about that window. It's the only thing that they could really look out. There's, there's some, some debate because it only mentions a, a cubit. So there's some debate whether that's a cubit, which the distance of a cubit is just the tip of your finger to your elbow. I think according to the Hebrew royal system, is 17.5 inches finger to elbow. And there's some debate as to whether that window was square, one cubit this way and one cubit this way, or whether that was just the dimension up and down, but yet the window was able to extend around the entire top tier of the ark. Quite frankly, I'm not entirely sure. But what I do know is this is that for the massive space in that ark, that window, I doubt, was sufficient to bring light even into the depths of that ship. And in that damp world, it would be so easy to allow the dreariness to take over. And as the waves smash against the outside of the boat, and perhaps the, uh, the, the inside begins to rock back and forth in the darkness, whether it's darkness during the day or darkness during the night, it seems like there's absolutely no relief and all that we can think about is how dreary this place is. But yet I noticed something specific about the position of that window. Verse 16 of chapter 6, A window shalt thou make to the ark and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above. Is that this window is upward. And this, I think, is the, the key to this whole idea of being confined in this same ark. As when we are confined in something that the Lord is using to deliver us or, or guide us, sometimes we can feel such despair. Because I will tell you this, that even though we look at the happy pictures of Noah and these animals in the ark, I believe that this was indeed an arduous and a difficult journey. And whenever we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, He never promised that this journey was going to be easy. 
And I look to the lives of the apostles, how they're being hunted down and stoned and killed. And, and Paul himself, his head lopped off on a chopping block there in Rome for his faith. And I learned quickly that this thing of being saved by the grace of God is not an easy thing. It's a task that God has called us to, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. You see, we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. And since we are purchased by his blood, he has commissioned us to go. And sometimes, whether we want to be honest about it or not, that commissioning can feel confining. Oh, but I want to do this, but I want to do that. Oh, but this is hard. Yes, the Lord never said to be easy, but he did tell us that, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And as I look to the position of the window in this ark, he didn't put it halfway up the ship, but he put it above, as if to say, Noah, in the dreariness of your journey, hey, Noah, in the distance of your journey, hey, Noah, in the duration, of this journey in this confinement why don't you lift up your eyes through that window look unto the Lord because I promise you that I would preserve you I promise you that I would keep you yes my way is not always easy but I will bring you through and I love the fact that at the end of it all when we find ourselves there in chapter number 8 verse number 16 the word of the Lord comes to Noah, the door opens and he says, go forth of the ark. Thou and thy wife and thy sons and thy son's wife, wives with thee. I believe that was about the most glorious day in Noah's life. No wonder he gathered an altar together and made sacrifice unto the Lord. No wonder God put a rainbow in the sky and said, Noah, we will not be doing this again. But you see, it was the same ark that he felt so confined in that the Lord also used to keep him. Now I want to make this application and then we'll be, we'll be done tonight. We ought to take a good look around in the circumstances of our lives. And the truth is, either we are trusting God or we're not. And yes, I'm sure that there are circumstances in your life and in mine that we wish were different. That we wish that God would just remove them and, and take them out of the way. And we need to always come to the knowledge and the realization that we are not God. Which on the surface, yes, we know, but here's what that means. God knows things that we don't know. God understands circumstances more than we understand circumstances. And you might be wondering tonight, why, Lord, why, why can't I have that promotion? Why, Lord, why are we stuck in this, in this dreary old house? Why, Lord, why is it that, that I can't find that, that next person to, to, to love and to cherish? And why can't I, I move on? And maybe, just maybe, it's because God is using that same thing that you think is confining you to keep you safe from harm. 
And it's that same house that you hate that God is using to provide for you to have a roof over your head and a floor underneath your feet. Maybe it's that same job that you complain about every single morning because you got to wake up at some ungodly hour, an hour of darkness, and you don't get home until after the sun has already set. But it is that job that the Lord has given you to take care of you. You know what? It is the woman that thou hast given me, Lord, some of us husbands will say. And we complain, well, why isn't she kinder? I'm not preaching about you, babe. I know you're the kindest one in here. Why isn't she nicer? Why isn't she more patient? You might just open your eyes and say, it's the one God gave you because without her, you'd be a disaster. You'd be a mess. You would be flooded over. I know that's true for Trevor Gunsalls. He's an entire wreck and the flood is coming and that man needs a woman. Right, Lydia? Right. They're about to be married. Oh, by the way, everybody's invited, right? Did I get that text? Okay, I'll give the details later. Sorry for that side note. <laughs> I hope it wasn't too distracting from the principle, which is we'd better be real careful what we have become so critical about. I know no one would ever say this, but I can't believe they do that there at that church. Yeah, no, there's things that we do here that I wish we didn't do too. <laughs> well, my, my Sunday school teacher just said, in good enough. My, my kid's a wanna teacher, my nursery worker, my this, my that. Listen, it may be those same people that the Lord has placed in your life to help keep you from harm. You teenagers, listen up very carefully. You are not in your family by accident. But on purpose. And I know that you all wish that I was your dad. <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny. <laughs> My actual children are like, oh, why is everybody laughing? I'm stuck with him. <laughs> but you know, the Lord has placed you in a home for a reason. Parents, It is so easy, and I have seen so many people, and I don't know that there's anyone in here struggling with this, but it is so easy to look at, at everybody else's life and, oh, they're taking some vacation or everything looked so blissfully wonderful in that marriage over there or, or aren't those kids just beautiful on, on Instagram? Yeah, but you should see them in real life. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. Don't let the world trick you into feeling like your family is some confining thing because it might just be the thing that the Lord is using to help keep you. And it might be you that the Lord is using to keep them. Boy, jealousy, envy, 
bitterness. They're such wicked things because they can take something that God placed in your life to be such a beautiful thing, to be such a protective thing, to be such a caring thing. And those things of jealousy and bitterness and envy can take something that the Lord meant to keep and to care, to preserve. And you can look at it through the lens of jealousy and think, why am I stuck in this ark? They've got a lakeside view. And I look back to that simple phrase in chapter 7, verse 16. And the Lord shut him in. What is it that you're being critical about that you ought to be grateful for? Look, when they entered into the ark, did you know that it didn't fix all the problems? I mean, it's not too long until after this that Noah, he turns and, and becomes drunk. His sons uh, go off the deep end and before you know it, they've turned their back on God. You know, this didn't fix all of the problems. But for a period of time, for a period of 370 or 71 days, the Lord used this confining experience to preserve this family and to preserve the plan of God. And it would have been so easy for them once they were shut in that boat to become critical about it. And what is it that you're being critical of that you ought to be thankful for? You know, God's given us a lot. Let's guard our hearts. It was the same ark that confined them and kept them.